So as always, thank you for joining me. Enjoy the podcast. Kick back and relax. The force is strong and is with us always. And never forget. We have hope. Rebellions are built on hope. of this moment the force is strong make ten men feel like a hundred I'll take the next chance and the next you're rebels aren't you You call it the Jesse James. Jesse, a.k.a. The Bizzle. Yo, The Bizzle, thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle? Thank you, The Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. All right, ladies and gentlemen of The Bizzle cast, welcome back to the show for a little change of pace on today's program. Back today with my good old buddy, Eric Herman, a one-time partner in crime in the music industry, which we are going to be talking about at Modiba. I'm also going to be talking a little hockey, I think. Eric, uh, welcome back, buddy. Thanks a lot, Bizzle. Great to be back. So uh, you and I are both uh, uh, on the the roll, the rush today, as it were. Um, so we're going to have to fit a lot in. I mostly want to get a music update, as we talked about, um, because if you recall last time, um, uh, we were a little bit more optimistic about the future of the country. Um <laughs> two years ago um and i was thinking about the old podcast i didn't have time to listen to it and i i I just recall i was extremely wrong about one thing extremely right about one i was extremely wrong about my confidence in hillary but i was extremely right about my uh pessimism about um the divide in in the uh the liberal and progressive side of things and unfortunately man with trump with a 42 percent approval rating it doesn't seem like we're going anywhere fast yeah, uh, I would unfortunately tend to agree. Think situation looks pretty bleak across the board. I mean, I'd like to think that we're just at a low point in what is ultimately a more of a circular rhythm of politics, mm-hmm. not just here, but nationwide, but uh, or rather uh, worldwide. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's hard to be optimistic at this moment. Um, certainly feels more like uh, the demise of an empire rather than just uh, the ebbs and flows of of, of a more consistent uh, and self-sustaining pattern. Uh, I would, um, I like, you know, I, I am always reminded when I'm, when I start thinking about this of like Tom York's famous, um, slag off of Spotify when he called it like the last, desperate fart of a dying corpse (laughs) um that's what this whole trump era reminds me of Mm -hmm. um you know like just the last desperate fart of uh this um you know this world this american quote-unquote worldview uh which um is it, it is truly uh under threat of of being uh, forever obliterated, which it, in my opinion is a good thing, but mm-hmm. uh, we're seeing the last last throws of the resistance from that side, and, and mm-hmm. currently they are uh, holding most of the cards, and so it's it's ugly. 
Yeah, I, I won't go too much into this. Obviously, you know, I do a lot of nerd stuff, but I also love, you know, dystopian stuff like Children of Men, V for Vendetta, stuff like that. And I talk about how when you have a top-down uh, dystopia or a wannabe dystopia, like with the Trump administration, um, the bad news is things look bleak in the short term. But the good news is when you have such incompetence, Trump's not doing the one thing he should be doing to achieve his ultimate end, at least not yet, which is crush hope altogether. So (laughs) the good news is in the long run, this is going to turn out to actually help us. The problem is, are we going to get to the long run? Yeah, well, I I totally agree. I mean, I'd much rather have an inept march uh towards our demise than a uh, speedy and calculated one but uh, as opposed to the mad max children of men scenario where there's just hopelessness pervading every aspect of society we haven't quite gotten there yet and hopefully we won't yeah yeah well i I will um you know just maintain uh, a healthy degree of hope uh in spite of my better judgment yeah. <laughs> Word up, man. All right. Well, um, so the game plan is today we're going to start with a little sports talk as per Eric's request. And we haven't actually wrapped on sports in a while, specifically hockey. And then we're going to catch up on um, a couple of Modiva's major projects and then uh, hopefully continue this conversation um, in the future with future podcasts. We're going to talk about Bombino, um, who uh, continues to be a rising star and was sort of the... Um, you know, sort of the the last artist that was sort of coming on board as I left. And then there's some new artists that you've brought on board that I really want to hear about and share it with the audience. But first, Eric Herman, you are yes, known sir. as a great optimist, even for the Toronto Maple Leafs. But, sir, I have not heard <laughs> you this optimistic ever. So please fill in our listeners about what hockey is <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and and just in general, um, I, no, I do want to hear about the state of the Maple Leafs, but uh, it could, if you could frame it in sort of the state of the National Hockey League as well, that would be of great interest to me because I haven't been following that closely in the last couple of years. Sure, uh, and uh, I won't go on about it too much just because I um, realize I'm, I'm speaking to a very narrow band of, of your audience here. Uh, but... Yeah, I think as I remember when we last spoke, it was during the election cycle uh, and things were already quite grim. And I was talking about how uh, just kind of turtling into my focus on the Maple Leafs uh, and their fate was so cathartic for me, uh, or at least just therapeutic, um, rather than having to think about uh, real life and politics and all of the depressing aspects of that. And so, I mean, I think in many respects, uh, sports substitutes nicely for, uh, religion, uh, in many people's lives, Mm -hmm. myself definitely included. I I belong to the church of of the Maple Leafs (laughs) and have since I was a small child. Mm -hmm. And, um, there is something beautiful about pinning your hopes to something that is of no real life consequence. Um, and I think that's what I get out of it. The most, uh, is just, you know, it's something that you can, your intellect and emotions into without suffering any real consequences. Mm -hmm. Um, there's also, you know, some great 
uh, other uh, qualities to it as far as just uh, solidarity with other people, tradition, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so anyways, that's, that's my sort of elevator pitch, uh, in favor of sports, uh, over perhaps, um, you know, manipulative and, and oppressive organized religions. Um, but, uh, in any case, so as a long suffering Toronto Maple Leafs fan, this is a very exciting moment because for the first time in my lifetime, 35 now, the Leafs have a really legitimate shot of not just winning it all, but of creating a dynasty over the next five to 10 years. Um, and it just happened to be a series of very fortunate turns of fate for them. That has led us to have the greatest core of, of talent that we've had in my lifetime. And then we've just brought in uh, or finally promoted this wonderkind general manager that's been uh, being groomed over the last several years. He just replaced Lou Lamorello, the oldest general manager in the NHL, hmm. who went on to Long Island. And we immediately proceeded to poach Long Island's uh, franchise player, John Tavares. Good, fuck him. Sign, <laughs> sign him to a seven-year deal in Toronto, uh, his hometown. And that has just put... Uh, expectation and excitement had a fever pitch uh, for Leaf fans, mm -hmm. myself included. So your boy Naz Kadri, yeah, uh, who is like, uh, yeah, Jesse's favorite player on the Leafs, damn right, uh, has been considered our number one center over the course of several years, up until our drafting of Austin Matthews, mm -hmm. the uh, probably best overall player in the world, if you ask me, mm -hmm. um, and. So, yeah, Naz has now been uh, effectively demoted to our third line, which is trying to find, like, what an analogy would be like. It would be kind of like if, um, you know, something like... Uh, it's like putting Albert Pujols in the five hole. Right. I was going to say, I was, I was thinking about, like, a basketball analogy. Yeah. Trying to find, like, a mid-level star. Well, it's like, like LeBron uh, in three or four years will probably play 25 minutes off the bench. Well, right, like exactly. It's like a superstar coming off the bench. Mm -hmm. uh, it just means you're you're fucking stacked. Um, Which, by the way, so in the NBA, you can go to the Hall of Fame playing 25 minutes off the bench, like Manu Ginobili. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean that's obviously it will. It's a good situation for him as well because he's going to be up against weak competition. Um, it's just going to be really advantageous matchups the, the entire time. Mm -hmm. uh, it's super exciting. We have arguably the best coach in the league. We have this superstar, rising superstar general manager. We have Brendan Shanahan at the helm, who's done a virtually nothing but make pretty brilliant moves since he took office about like five years ago. Uh, so it's, yeah, like I said, I kind of, again, to bring it back to what I was talking about earlier with politics, I mean, it's just like, it's the perfect inverse of the political situation for me, yeah. where everything is so hopeless and maddening um, and just soul-crushing and depressing uh, in the political sphere. I'm getting a lot of uh, solace and enjoyment out of just tuning out and plugging into my mm -hmm. kind of fantasy world of sports mm -hmm. and uh I think it's over, overall better for my health. 
and you know what's great about hockey is you're always in it till the end of the season and you're always in it till the last whistle and it's very meditative um and so yeah as long as there's hope um so actually man i have two questions about this that i actually feel qualified to ask um and then we'll move on to some music questions the first is uh what was your reaction to the caps finally getting over the top and does that give you hope that like you guys can make that next jump uh yeah sure i mean the situation is is quite a bit different i think i mean i was happy for them by the time the the finals rolled around i was uh fully on their bandwagon um i mean the vegas golden knights and their run that's worth in my opinion probably the most just remarkable cinderella story in all of professional sports over the last several decades i can't really think of anything that compares to an expansion team that everyone expected would be the absolute bottom of the league uh crushing it out of the gate winning their conference they may have no i'm sorry no i don't think they won the conference they won their division though um and just like just the entire time everybody waiting for the shoe to drop and for them to return down to earth and be a middling at best expansion team. And it just never happened. And then they made this incredible run all the way to the Stanley cup. Uh, it's just, you just never see stuff like that. And so that was really fun to watch regardless of, uh, you know, how invested one was emotionally in the fate of that team, Mm -hmm. but Washington. Yeah. I mean, I've been a fan of Ovechkin for a long time. I love just his, how, how fiery he is. Uh, and obviously he's just an incredible athlete. Uh, and so, yeah, watching Washington finally put it together was, was really satisfying. I think for, yeah, for fans like me that really pay a lot of attention and endure a lot of hardship, uh, following their own team and can then therefore empathize with what people in Washington went through. I mean, Washington has been at the top of the league for a long time. They've been sort of perennial favorites or close to for several years. had kind of fallen off a little bit and the expectations were decreased. Mm -hmm. And uh, naturally that's when they go on their cup run and win. Um, And so... It's the LeBron that, uh, situation. I mean, the thing is, I like LeBron better than I'm more invested in LeBron than I am in Ovechkin. But it's the I, you know, part of the reason I stopped paying attention to sports was the fucking Talking Heads. And there's nothing I like more than shutting up the Talking Heads by the best players winning at least temporarily. <laughs> yeah, and I would say, you know, at this point, even though I'm not really a basketball guy, I'm more invested in LeBron certainly than I am in. Uh, but you get the like comparison, Ovechkin. right? But yeah. Uh, but yeah, totally. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, these, these storylines, uh, I think they're, they're good for us on many levels. Um, even though, you know, people dismiss sports as, as ultimately just sort of masturbatory waste of time. Um, but I think it gives us a lot more than people give it credit for, Mm -hmm. uh, particularly like there's, there's just aspects of our nature, uh, that we, we, certain things that we crave, uh, in social life, in uh, in terms of feeling like a sense of belonging and identity mm-hmm. uh, that sports offers us, that I, I can't really think of a healthier way of satisfying those those urges, mm-hmm. uh, just on a really kind of primal level. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, just that's my in defense in defense of being uh, a sports nerd 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, so my and, last and yeah, encouraging others to potentially look at look at it differently and not necessarily as just mm-hmm. just a vacuous waste of time. So, um, my final question is sort of about the psychology of being a hockey fan, which is. So, you know, I, I don't follow any of them that closely. My mom is a rabid sports fan, and, you know, I keep up on the standings and the stats, and she keeps me posted. So, like, for example, when the Sixers were, like, a third or fourth seed with a few weeks to go, I predicted they would get to the second round and go and lose in six, and they got to the second round and lose in five. NBA playoffs are very predictable, as you know, for the most part. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, and, seems the entire season is. Yeah, and and with football... Even though since we lost our you know our our quarterback late in the season, but we were so dominant, I, I'm not gonna say I made any predictions. Now I was shocked the way we beat the Patriots, but with with the season as it was, and you look back, you could see the pieces in place to how it got there. Whereas if you go to the Stanley Cup and win it, you can look all the way back, and it, you still can't necessarily piece together because there's so many bounces and tips and you know what i mean like hockey mm-hmm. has the most variability and yes. so you literally can have a team full of Tavares's and cadres and, and you know a goalie who gives up one goal every five games and then they could give up five goals in the first game of the playoffs so you know like a how do you keep an even keel but b are there small things that you start honing in on that you know obviously can't guarantee that you're going to go past a certain point but you know what i mean like you can't just stack a team in hockey obviously well no as you say it is it is the game that is most subject to 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 chance uh, dictating the outcome mm-hmm. um relative to the other major sports and I think the only thing that would offset that potentially is, I mean, when we cut, when we talk about the playoffs, uh, and yeah, and, and I guess the, the regular season in, in general, the full season, uh, is that, you know, it's a long season. So, uh, over the, the course of 82 games and then four rounds of seven game series, uh, in the playoffs, uh, the role of chance, is minimized uh, in dictating the outcome, uh, as opposed to something like football, where uh, you know it can come down to a single play uh, in one game. Uh, that's you know that you're in a do or die game uh, at every stage of the playoffs, um, and even during the regular season, uh, this, uh, each game is so much more consequential. Um, so even though <clears throat> a good football team will beat a bad football team more often than a good hockey team will beat a bad hockey team just in one game if we're looking at one game sets over the course of a full season uh it should be probability wise it should be pretty close yeah um, what wait, okay. speaking of that though i want to bring up one more point that yes. i want to kind of evangelize um which is that i it's been bothering me lately how inconsequential the regular season is yep. for sports like hockey and basketball as well. Um, and like, I guess, I don't know. I, yeah, I haven't really like spent enough time thinking about or lo- looking at baseball to know if it, if it qualifies. Football is well, the only like, season that's appropriate length. Everything else is way too long. <laughs> well, it's not just, well, for me, I don't mind, you know, I love, I love hockey. So uh, the more, the, the more, the better, as far as I'm concerned, the issue for me is that it's just, the season itself uh, is so inconsequential. Like it's really just a preamble to the playoffs if you're a good team. And the reward for, let's say, 
being, if, let's say you just win, you just smash the rest of the league over the course of 82 games, uh, and you win the President's Trophy, which is for the team that, that records the most points in a, in a regular season, um, your reward for that effectively is home ice advantage, which is li- very slightly over, gives you a very slightly over chance advantage. Um, and so you get home ice advantage through the playoffs and that's it. You have no other advantage over the team just squeaked into the playoffs other than you get one more home game uh, against them in the series, which to me, if you're looking at like, that's the reward of six months of like grueling work um, is outrageous. So a counter proposal would be a new format for playoffs in which uh, team one gets its choice of opponent mm. of all the other teams and then team two. It's like it's a draft format, um, which not only gives like, you know, uh, gives a lot more weight and consequence to the regular season, but it will also really foment like rivalries amongst different teams like just like the the drama of teams having to pick their opponent Mm -hmm. uh and then you know like facing each other again the following year you know just like all of the rivalries and uh that will ensue i think it would be just good for the sport on every level and it doesn't make any sense to me why we would preserve the current order uh over over something like that so just wanted to throw that out into the universe. I like because it. I think it should happen. I like it. Uh, and I think it should happen for basketball too. And like, uh, it's, um, yeah, to me, it makes a ton of sense. I think it would just get people way more invested on like the teams will be more invested in the regular season. The fans will be more invested in all of the storylines. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the playoffs of course would just be like, you know, how awesome is that? If, totally. if the Leafs get a slot and they say, we want, we want to take on the flyers fuck y'all and bring it yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> all of a sudden you're fired up what if you could choose the format too? what if you could choose the format like like which format like like what if you could be like we want a two three two and we're gonna take the three in the middle kind of thing ah yeah well that's yeah i mean that's the next level mm-hmm. uh yeah I, I would be in favor of that i mean i think as much power as you can put in the hands of the team that has earned it by way of the regular season, the better, you know? Mm-hmm. Word up, man. All right, buddy. Well, let's get some uh, quick hits, uh, Modiba updates going. Why don't we start with Bombino? Because that's obviously the dude, uh, the project I am most familiar with. Obviously, Bizzlecast listeners, I was, the Bombino project was sort of starting as I was sort of headed um, in my own direction, but you, you kept me very um, informed about it. Obviously, he came highly recommended. It was a very interesting story. Um, we, we, we love our, you know, West Africans. A hell blues guitarist clearly um and uh he, i've always loved bombino i loved his sound from the beginning i love the tightness um but what's interesting was you know with via in the beginning the the concern was never about his raw talent it was about harnessing the beast right um, mm-hmm. and that happened clearly and via's killing it and that's great 
I never had concerns about Bambino, and I, you know, you you were running it at that point. So, but it just in terms of a of a listener, and, and you know, and being um, kept up to date by you and so forth, was that what I loved was Bambino from the beginning was clearly very into crafting shows like rock shows, which has very much you know helped get, get an awesome following. Every time I go see him, there's more and more like young people like rocking out to it. Um, but I, I was always interested to see the the progression of his his physical guitar playing and just sort of loosening up and letting loose. And I got to tell you, man, when I saw him a couple, uh, um, uh, was it weeks or months ago, I'm not going to say that was the first great Bombino show I saw, but it was the first one where he just slayed and blew me away. So give me an update on, on where Bombino is sort of in his career and, and where you think he is right now and sort of like within the Modiba family. I think, I mean, in many respects, he and Via Farcatore uh, have ascended along similar trajectories. Uh, they are completely, almost completely polar opposites in terms of their personalities mm-hmm. and the way that, that one engages with them uh, offstage. Um But as far as their career arcs, I think they've been pretty similar. I mean, both of them were when we started working with them were just uh, incredible raw talent um, and a really interesting uh, biography to up to the point where their, their international careers began. So both of that, that's, you know, just a huge advantage. Sure. Um, and so they both started out of the gate in, in that similar respect. Um, and I think, you know, Bombino, uh, he's always attracted uh, more of a hipster crowd from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we could go into the weeds uh, trying to figure out what that's <laughs> about, but um, but I think his his both he and Via, you know, they they were just kind of thrown right into the deep end without a lot of experience in the beginning, and so they really had to learn on the job how to craft a show for a Western audience. Um, and you know so stuff like bambino's like his he used to just like spend minutes tuning his guitar in between songs uh without addressing the crowd at all it was just like completely like so cringe inducing uh for me and and (laughs) people that were paying attention um and you know he didn't they, they didn't have really any arrangements as far as how like songs tended, like they would tend to know how a song would start, but how a song would end was never, never premeditated. 
mm-hmm. and so there was there was all of these sort of uh, rough aspects of the show in the beginning that needed to be polished over time. Uh, the way he addresses the crowd, uh, the sequence of, of songs, you know, how you get, you know, how you have a, have a nice distribution of, of energy for, for a good overall flow throughout the set. Uh, all of these things that are subtle and really just, you can't, can't be taught in an academic sense, uh, uh, or at least you, one could try, but uh, for a true artist, they're not going to get it until they just put that the, those miles on the odometer themselves and recognize for themselves what works um, and how to get the best response out of the crowd. So Bombino has been touring really heavily since 2011. Uh, and, you know, with each passing year, he, he takes steps forward as far as honing the, the professionalism of the show. I mean, his, his guitar work, of course, also continues to just get more and more dazzling. Um, and, you know, he's playing, uh, you know, 150, 200 shows a year. And he's never far from his guitar when he's off stage. And so it's, you know, it's only natural that he's just going to keep becoming more massive. But, uh, you know, the challenges with him are not so much musical. It's just, it's just keeping the, the, the tune on the tracks um, in terms of all of the, all of the peripheral uh, aspects of touring uh, outside of the music and the show itself. And those are what the real challenges, uh, not just for him, but for most, if not all, <laughs> touring groups. Um, so, you know, just how do you deal with just the gauntlet of three months in a row uh, on the road playing in a new city almost every night uh, packed in a small van or something uh, with the same guys and just dealing with brutal, you know, 5 a.m. wake-ups for long flights and then drives and, and your hemorrhoids are acting up and you're getting sick and you're not eating well and you're missing your family and, and there's, you know, all of that stuff that makes mm-hmm. the life of a touring musician extremely hard uh, and gets offset by the euphoria of, of playing a killer set to some extent, but, uh, you know, it wears on you. And so these are, those are the main challenges that we face mm-hmm. as his management day in, day out, is just keeping everybody happy and healthy, uh, and the music pretty much takes care of itself. Yeah, so just to tease, guys, we don't have time today, nor do we have time to prep, but we're going to do a longer discussion a little bit down the road about some of the thorny issues about working with foreign artists, and it might be getting thornier, unfortunately. Um, so I, th- I think maybe we'll table that, Herman, for like a full-on discussion. Sure, sure, whatever you want. But yes, it's, it's taking a, a turn for, for the much worse uh, as of late, and uh, no surprise, given... Mm-hmm. Uh, the administration right now and their, you know, objectives. Well, but uh, yeah, that's a longer conversation. Well, for, for whatever it's worth, I, you know, I see him every year or two, and this was the biggest 
uptick in awesomeness <laughs> for whatever that's <laughs> worth like just as a sheer music listener you know like i'm always gonna feel invested you know because i helped start this with you but uh, honestly like just being listening with my dad like we were just like you know i i don't know what it was it was a mix of confidence uh technical skill you know or, or at least display of technical skill i, I you know, i'm not around him enough to know the difference between the potential and the realization, if that makes sense, but sure. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, look, he's, and I mean, I'm, uh, take this for what it's worth as his manager, but I, I really do think he's, you know, uh, you can count on your fingers, the number of guitarists that compare to him, uh, alive today. Mm -hmm. Um, and he just, he brings something completely, mm -hmm. uh, originally him mm -hmm. uh to the table uh he's he's obviously pulled uh of many greats from many different uh musical disciplines from kind of this 60s onwards uh but his style is very distinctively his own um and uh so is his i mean just his whole aura his whole presence uh is is very unique and captivating uh, and he's, you know, he, he's a very special human being in that respect. Um, and yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think he's been blossoming as far as like just his chops and how, how polished he is on stage now. It's all really coming together and reaching new heights, uh, which is exciting. And yeah, and that, so that kind of culminated, like, you know, I think we got the gratification from the, from the media uh, with this latest album of his, uh, where people are, are agreeing, uh, with that perspective that he's really kind of come into his own, uh, well-established now as one of the premier guitarists on the planet. Um, and so that, you know, feels great for, for the world to, to recognize it. Like the, the New York times did a feature, uh, on him, which was of course, wonderful for us. Um, and and they dubbed him the Sultan of Shred, mm. uh, which you know for for a long time both he and Vieux would would on and off be referred to in the in the press as the Hendrix of the Sahara, which I think to a certain extent uh, is uh, is cool for Vieux. I ne never really fit for Bombino as far as I was concerned. I don't think he's anything like Hendrix in terms of his style, um, but. Uh, it was, you know, a stretch at best to begin with. But now uh, this this new moniker seems to fit a lot nicer, and you can see it, uh, see the ripple effect around the world. Now you get like articles coming out of like Australia, where he's going to go on tour, Europe, and everything, and and they're also uh, piggybacking off of that and calling him the Sultan of Shred. And it's so I guess that's just representative of him reaching a new level in his career. Uh, and gaining that respect and uh, that feels great because we've certainly put in a lot of blood sweat and tears uh, to get him to this point yeah I mean he's definitely shredding more and it's showing I mean he had some some pretty pretty fiery licks uh, <laughs> and um, yeah it, it, and it wasn't just you know be, being more um, uh more more gutsy but it was the confidence behind it as well um i guess what i'm saying is i've always seen the potential that you've described and talked about this was the first show where i didn't have to think about it it just hit me like a wave right. and it was that's great yeah 
Yeah, well, I think there is something to be said for like kind of like the Tony Robbins or what, or is it uh, Malcolm Gladwell? I don't know which uh, pseudo intellectual. Right, uh, <laughs> uh, part genius, part charlatan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which one was talked about? I, I was talking about you know, ten thousand hours or whatever it takes. Oh to right, be right. An expert, yep. But like mm-hmm. you know. Um, so that's kind of where we're at with Bambino. Like he's just put in the the hours um, on the road. Uh, he's played, as I said, you know, like let's say it's been seven or eight years at a mm-hmm. at about 150 shows a year clip. You know, that's a lot of hours uh, just in the performance side. Um, and so, yeah, that's uh, there's just no substitute. Uh, for that kind of experience in terms of just building the confidence Mm -hmm. uh, the sort of it's it's just second nature now Um, Mm -hmm. and he understands so many more subtleties about putting on a good show than he did when he got started Mm -hmm. Uh, and so I guess that's what you're picking up on so that's great to hear yeah I mean just one last observation and then and then we'll move on to a couple more artists which is just that I mean, th- th- this might be obvious uh, to you. Um, you can tell me if this is oversimplifying, but as you point out, I mean, he's had sort of a younger hipster a- audience sort of from the beginning. To me, it seems as simple as when you see Via, Via see- is, I mean, again, I haven't seen Via in a year or two, but he kind of, he <laughs> operates more like a jazz musician or like a master world musician where he's operating mm. track to track. Bambino really seems to craft a show. And with each time I see him, he's crafting it more and more like a rock show. Like, you know, like the the way he builds from a certain, like uh, within, uh, builds the set list. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, like he started kind of slow and I was like, just wait, dad, just wait. And he built and built and built it by like track three or four. Then the shred was, it was out and people were dancing and going yeah. nuts. You can see the set. I, I don't know if it's a specific set list, but I can see sort of the building of the set in his head. Um, whereas my, my experience with you is more like, you know, I'm going to play this song. I'm going to play that song. It's all going to work. Cause I'm, I'm fantastic. And I think that's mm-hmm. great. I mean, that, that's right. That's what you want when you have, I mean, to us, they sound very distinct to the majority of of the world you, you want as much distinction as possible and and that's a great yeah. way to do it yeah well i think yeah they do have different approaches uh as far as that goes um Diaz is the more i guess traditional approach that most professional musicians take which is to have a set more or less premeditated that was not always how he did it uh but as as of the last several years he tends to craft a set uh that he feels comfortable with and that he feels uh the crowd responds well to um and then he more or less sticks to that set list through the course of of a tour um which can go on for months uh, but it's you know usually highlighting uh some of the cuts from his newest album uh you know that's this is stuff that's quite uh boilerplate um sure. for or artists uh in terms of just how to deliver a good show bambino is always uh constructing his set list on the fly uh always he will never premeditate a set list uh he may accept uh the request of someone like me or his agent in the territory uh or a fan or a friend or whatever that said well can you play x song tonight and he'll work it into the set um but for the most part, he will not know 
what song is going to come next until he literally until he starts playing it uh and same obviously goes for the rest of the band so it's kind of, you know keeps the rest of the band on their toes because sure. he'll just start he'll just start you know sort of noodling around to start something and nobody knows where he's going with it until he'll just do like one sort of signature riff of the song and that's the cue for the rest of the band and if you miss it god help you uh <laughs> and that's just how he goes i mean he he just likes to be in that sort of spontaneous space uh, I think it's just more exciting for him. I, I certainly understand why. Um, and so the shows, you know, they're at less risk of, of getting stale that way. Uh, you know, there's there's other risks, like he'll often play songs that the rest of the band just hasn't played in years, hasn't <laughs> thought about, maybe doesn't know how to play, or maybe has uh-huh. never played before. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, has no hesitation to, to play a completely new song uh, at like at a huge moment like apparently he did that he uh they played at a festival in finsbury park in london for uh, they were invited by queens of the stone age uh to this inaugural festival that queens of the stone age put on over there um and so they picked a handful of bands that were just favorites of of the band uh and so bambino got to play this this very kind of exciting set and yeah he he I wasn't there, but apparently most of it was like deep cuts that nobody, including the band, <laughs> ever heard before. Um, and that's just kind of uh, what, uh, yeah, what you can expect uh, with him. And, and you take all all of the, the good with uh, the frustrating in that respect. Uh, but yeah, it does it does mean that when he's when he's feeling it, you'll get like just. The, the his pure enthusiasm coming out because he's gonna he's gonna pick the song that he most strongly feels he wants to play in that moment at you know as he goes mm-hmm. and he does keep an eye on the overall composition of the set and i think that's just that's what i was talking about earlier it's just like something that like you can't learn how to do that until you've put in mm-hmm. uh, hundreds of hours on stage uh just fine-tuning it to the point where it's just second nature for you. And so I think he's gotten to that point now mm-hmm. uh, where he understands implicitly what he has to do in the long haul and can make decisions in the short term that, that, uh, you know, that coincide nicely with that. Word. All right. Um, well, I know you've got some new uh, projects, one or two, um that maybe you want to talk about and then i have just sort of a a general question um uh more about you know just sort of the um the um state of you know how um you know how your kind of day-to-day week-to-week to to month-to-month is these days if we have time for that uh just to give the bizzlecast listeners a little insight you know inside sports kind of thing um but uh yeah uh, i you know i i don't want to introduce them because i i already don't know what stuff i can talk about and what stuff i can't so do you want to jump in on one or two projects that you can talk about that you're excited about yeah sure sure uh so i guess since we uh last spoke some time ago we've started working with some new artists Mm -hmm. that we're excited about uh, the first that I'll mention is La Dama. Uh, they uh, got onto our radar, um, was it two or three years ago now? I can't remember. But um, one of them, 
approached me at a conference in New York and told me about this group that she was forming with three other female musicians from three different countries. Uh, and it was intriguing. And they were going off and touring in South America that spring and they were going to come to New York. And so I said, okay, well, let's, let's meet up when you, when you all to New York uh, and they were going to, and they played a show in Brooklyn and I went and saw that and was uh, really taken with them and their potential and their energy and, and everything about it. Uh, I could mm. really just see uh, that this was something special. And mm-hmm. so we started getting to work, um, got them a label deal with our good friends at six degrees records uh, and a publishing deal and a agents and, and, you know, just started putting the team together piece by piece. And then their debut album came out last September, almost a full year ago. Uh, and they've been touring quite heavily since then and doing a lot of exciting, uh, other sort of, um, well, just like conferences uh, and forums and, and sort of alternative performance uh, spaces um, and workshops at universities and, uh, and for younger kids and for underprivileged communities uh, all over the place. And so they, they just are really inspiring people and musicians, uh, each in their own right, super talented uh each one could be the leader of their own project and in some cases they are um but they come together to just form this female all-star band of badasses um so yeah to give a little more basic information it's uh four women each from uh a different country there's uh maria known as mafer who's from Venezuela. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's Dani from Colombia, Lara from Brazil, and Sarah from the U.S. And then they collaborate with an American bass player named Pat Swoboda. Uh, and so that is the ensemble. And so, yeah, they each obviously bring a, a different perspective and uh, musical flavor to the mix. And so their sound is quite original uh, but it's sort of in this Latin pop fusion sort of space, but it's, you know, incorporating traditional rhythm uh, with a modern aesthetic. Uh, and it's, it's lovely and uh, they are lovely and we have really, really loved working with them. Uh, it's, they're all uh, so driven uh, and impressive in their own rights. And it's, yeah, it's, it's just been <laughs> fantastic mm-hmm. working with them and seeing the, the early successes and projecting forward, you know, the, the continued potential that they have uh, to, to excel and, and to really do something special and leave their mark. Interesting. Um, so I have a question, a follow up, and this actually could bridge into um, if, if there's an, uh, 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 one other project to talk about, which is. These days, like, if you had to put a percentage on 
how much of it's you going to artists and how much of it's artists coming to you or is it just too fluid to, to even categorize it like that in terms of getting these projects going yeah it's too fluid it's it, i mean first of all it's just there's we're not dealing with a large volume of cases um we only you know we we have a roster nine artists currently uh, several of which have been with us for a long time. So it's not like we're taking on dozens and dozens of, of new projects uh, and so that there becomes more of like something systemic about how it's done. It's really just, you know, in this case, it was the artist that approached us. Uh, in many cases, it's a mutual contact mm-hmm. Uh, that will approach us a publicist, a former manager, an agent, a label head. Uh, that's probably most often how we get introduced to artists that we will consider working with. Um, then, of course, we do get cold calls from artists, and that will occasionally work out, usually not on a full-fledged management deal, but uh, we do, as you know, but as your audience probably doesn't know, we are also active in music licensing, uh, which is putting music into television, film, and, you know, online and and so forth. Wherever you see music uh, existing with film Mm -hmm. or with video, uh, there was a license involved to put that music there. And so we represent a, a pretty large catalog of music from all over the world for those types of opportunities. And so when we get uh, cold calls from uh, a new artist that uh, that is promising but not quite someone that we think would would be a great fit for us management wise we we will often uh, propose that that they join our catalog, our licensing catalog it's a good way to kind of get to know them and their team a little bit better uh, and see if you know just see if there's chemistry between us and see if, if potential uh grows and then they're we're in a position to potentially take them to the next level as far as you know us working closely with them so what you're saying is better to date friends of friends than blind dates (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah definitely referrals are important Mm -hmm. uh you don't want to just jump into bed with tell uh, me about it yeah whoever hits you up you hear that friends (laughs) hook a bizzle up um so um that yeah that's kind of what I figured was was how you were still operating um and you know I, I mean l- let's be honest like Modiba's been around long enough and there's enough great projects out there that it, you know it, it's not like you have to be a snob but you can be a little picky Uh well yeah I mean I mean I and you must be picky because of resources and time and so Well forth. exactly exactly it's not a question of um us just wanting to set the bar at a certain level uh, out of just this idea of what we want to be. It's really just based on the practical realities of of time and resources. Uh, We need to maximize those. uh, And so, you know, we have to be very cognizant of how much we're committing across the board because we don't want to be spread too thin. Uh, and not give one of our groups the attention that it needs. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, so we're, we're dealing with a, a zero-sum sort of puzzle. Um, 
and constantly sort of tweaking it and reassessing and figuring out where there is uh, deficiencies, where like the ratio of what we're putting into what we're getting out is off. Um, and that's, that's basically my barometer for how, how I go about business is, is looking at that ratio of just saying like, it's okay if we're working with a small project, if we're putting, investing a small amount, it's a, and it's okay if we take on a big project, if we're able to invest a big amount, and it's just, uh, all of that is fine. It's only not fine when you're putting in more effort than, uh, than fruits of the labor are being yielded. Um, and you know, that, that goes both ways. Uh, you know, I feel like, you know, the artist, uh, is in the same position. They've got to feel that they're putting, that they and everybody on their team is putting in the appropriate amount of effort and, and receiving the appropriate amount of reward. And so if that balance is there, then the scope of the project is is secondary, whether it, it be large or small. And so then we can fit several large projects with several small projects at, at any given time. And that's pretty much how we operate. And it's, and it's fluid. And, hmm. uh, you know, so projects will, uh, um, you know, will ebb and flow throughout the course of a year or something. But um, at any given time, we are, you know, we're juggling, as I said, those uh, are nine management clients, our licensing work. Uh, we also have a few other projects on the, gr- on the go at any given time mm-hmm. related to music supervision or consulting or something to that effect or looking at uh, larger, more ambitious, long-term projects uh, and just trying to keep those moving along. So uh, it's, a, it's a large uh, exercise in multitasking uh, for long, medium, and, and short-term objectives. Word, man. Well, as always, questions are long and time is short. Um, so I have one last sort of broad question uh, directed towards you, actually. And then I want to uh, get, you know let the Bizzlecast listeners where they can check a Bambino. Uh, is it La Dama or La Dama? La Dama. La Dama. Yeah, like the em- emphasis on the, the da. La Dama. So Bambino, La Dama...
Maybe a couple of other artists, of course, we'll put it all in the copy and the Bizzle cast. So my question for you, man, is you're a family man. Uh, you have a beautiful wife and a beautiful daughter. I know you still travel a lot. You used to travel like a maniac. Um, how have you found the uh, the balance these days? I know you don't, you, you know, there's never huge expansions, but you always have new projects and, you know, obviously fires to put out and so forth. Have you had to adjust the way the, you know, the company runs? Have you found your, your sort of approach and attitude change over the last couple of years of balancing family life and uh, the, the, um, the demands of a uh, international global music company? Um, well, yeah, I mean, that's a good question. And yeah, uh, absolutely. I have, uh, have just felt, uh, the need to make a lot of adjustments. Some of them have just happened organically. Mm -hmm. Others I've had to really just apply myself, um, to, uh, to initiate and stick to the changes that I think were, were needed both. Well, to, yeah, to balance, uh, my work and my family life, um, it's it's funny because I mean we joke at Robin, my wife and I. Uh, we both were professionally uh, experienced as parents, basically. I mean, she's an occupational therapist. I'm an artist manager. Uh, we are both professionals at looking after little kids. Um, <laughs> that's uh, you know we have we came into this with years of experience. Um, and so a lot of the skills that I have acquired on the job have been relevant, uh, to being a parent I found, uh, but yeah, obviously it's again, it's a question of there's so only so many hours in the day, uh, and I want to be dedicating myself entirely to the my projects at work but uh even more so to to my daughter and my family um and so obviously there each needs to be split and it's a really tough balancing act and i'm constantly uh, under threat of feeling uh, you know guilty that i haven't been putting my investing my time enough in one or the other at any given moment sure um, and you know, I think that's just a necessary byproduct of, of loving something, mm -hmm. uh, or loving more than one thing at a time. And, uh, yeah, so I definitely, as far as like my day-to-day -day schedule, that's changed a lot. I'm now an early riser, which I had never been prior to having a kid. Uh, although I, I will often sneak off for a nap once she goes to daycare <laughs> and before I go to the office, um, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, my, my day now orients itself around sort of the, the peak times that are available to spend with Maya, my daughter, um, which are like early morning and then um, early evening, I guess, primarily. And so I will usually put those times aside and then uh, I'll end, I'm ending up working later into the night than I used to. I used to like, like to just get my work done by about like seven or eight and just be done with it. Uh, nowadays I usually will have to do another round or two, uh, of work, um, into the night because I've, uh, been busy going through dinner and bedtime routine and whatever with Maya from like six to eight o'clock. Um, and yeah, travel, 
is uh, much uh, more uh, sparse than it used to be. Um, like really being much more selective <laughs> with when I leave town um, and for obvious reasons, but it's just, uh, it's extremely hard on my wife uh, to, to manage everything here when I'm not here. Um, and then also, of course, I just don't want to be away mm -hmm. from my family for, for too long. Um, I did a couple weeks in Morocco last year uh, producing Bombino's album. That was uh, the longest I'd been away since Maya was born. And, you know, typically I'll, I'll go out for a few days at a time or I'll go to Womax as, as I'm going to Womax, this annual world music conference uh, in October. I'll be there for just under a week. But apart from that, I'm really not, not traveling very much other than to visit with our families in Canada. Uh, and, you know, I, I see that as uh, probably... Uh, temporary state of affairs um, as Maya and if we have other kids uh, the family grows uh, and gets older then uh, I imagine my lifestyle will will adjust again uh, but for now pretty much bunkered down just trying to yeah like I say like just strike a healthy balance uh, between all of these uh, important aspects of my life, my, my family, my work, and my maple leaves. Word. <laughs> Word up, man. Well, uh, we definitely, in addition to a future podcast, expanding the discussion, a big picture of the global music industry in 2018, because we've got some big stuff to talk about that we knew we wouldn't have time today you and i for sure do just for a one-on-one -on -one, uh catch up as well um uh, maybe when you get back on from your upcoming trip so i really appreciate you being on and um i know there's tons of websites and social media we'll, we'll get that all in the copy so why don't you highlight a few in particular here and then we'll make sure to get those and, and everything else on the bizzlecast page and on, on my facebook page and so forth sure okay well a few uh uh, projects to check out uh, if you're so inclined. I mean, first of all, there's Ladama that we were just uh, mm -hmm. speaking about. Uh, their website is ladamaproject.org. But uh, if you look up Ladama in Google, you'll find them pretty easily. They have several videos on YouTube. Um, they have, you know, their their album is available for streaming everywhere. Uh, and so I encourage everybody to check them out. And they will be touring in the U.S. again in the fall, uh, West Coast and East Coast, uh, September and October. And then they will be at Womex as well um, in Spain. And uh, so, yeah, they are definitely worth, uh, worth getting familiar with. Um, mm -hmm. Bambino's album that I alluded to earlier, Deiran, uh, that is also available everywhere that you consume music. I would encourage you to listen to that, that I produced that album. So I'm quite proud of it. Uh, nice. And then there was also another group that we didn't get a chance to talk about just now, but uh, that we manage uh, called Brownout. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. They released uh, a really, really dope project uh, in May on Fat Beats, which is a, a legendary hip hop label. Uh, that commissioned them to make an album of their own interpretations of public enemy classics. Mm. So they did this album called fear of a Brown planet. Uh, and it's super funky. Uh, and yeah, just, um, really great, 
um, chilling party. Uh, it's good, good vibe. So recommend that as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, I mean, uh, of course, there's uh, a number of other artists that we work with that I would encourage people to check out. Fifarkatori, who we mentioned before, he's about to go out on tour um, in the U.S. again as of tomorrow. Um, and a Grupo Fantasma is another band that we've started to uh, to work with, which I'm thrilled about because I've loved them for managers. a while. Yeah, and so we have some exciting stuff coming up with them. They've just completed an album with this amazing producer uh, who is um, known, known as Loco. Uh, and so we're, we're in talks uh, with some partner organizations about some potentially very exciting stuff with, uh, with that and mm-hmm. making it uh, socially active. Um, I'll just tease it that way, I guess. Their, and, uh, their track Color has been on many of my lists for a while. Nice. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're an awesome band, and they're, uh, they're coming up on their 20-year anniversary, amazingly. That's awesome. Uh, so we've got, uh, yeah, we've got some, um, some exciting plans for them over the next couple of years. Awesome. Uh, and they also have a spinoff group that I would encourage people to check out called mm-hmm. Money Chicha. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is just a five-piece instrumental psychedelic cumbia and chicha group, uh, like pulling off of the psychedelic Peruvian and Colombian cumbia from from the '60s and '70s. Okay. Uh, super super fun music. Um, so that's worth checking out too. Again, that's Money Chicha. I think if you just Google that, you'll find it, or look it up in Spotify or. Oh Apple yeah, Do, it, well, this will be this will be in the podcast copy and on the Facebook page, so you guys can access right it all there. Um, yeah, and I'm you know I'm sure I'm leaving some stuff out, but uh, we do have some uh, exciting new stuff in the works that I'm not really at liberty to talk about yet. But uh, we'll be happy to uh, link back up, <laughs> link back up a few months from now, um, and and fill you in again on what we're up to. Awesome, man. Well, it was great to have you on. Um, I, I, we, we definitely have to do, 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 do the more like philosophical, big picture, you know, politics of music, yada, yada, yada talk that we've been, that we're always kind of talking about and have been talking about since we've known each other and been, you know, learning about it and then formed the company and everything else. So, um, but uh, obviously you're, you've been way closer to this than me the last 10 years increasingly. And so I would love to hear, um, you know, I follow the, you know, the international news and always read up on music and, you know, I read the times and the economist and the guardian and so forth, but would love to get that discussion going and the, tr- the, the trials and tribulations um, uh, of Modiba in particular and the artists. So we got to do it, man. Closing question. A TV show or movie recommendation for the Bizzlecast? Give it to us. Oh man! All right. Well, actually, good question. Uh, I'm going to throw out sort of a random one. I did, as you know, I just saw Black Klansman last night. That one is not going to be my pick, although I, I enjoyed it. Um, but uh, I actually just stumbled on um, a four-part interview series on Showtime that is Oliver Stone interviewing Vladimir Putin. Um, which has not gotten any play in the press as far as I've seen, but it's been totally fascinating uh, to really, to, you know, get such an up close look uh, 
at Putin and, you know, to delve into his mind a little bit, even though he's obviously like he's, you know, he's very self-conscious the whole time. It's not like he's uh, speaking off the cuff. Uh, he's very calculated with everything he does, but still, it's very revealing hmm. of where of his mindset uh, and uh, his, you know, just the way he looks at the world, um, hmm. it, which I found so fascinating. Especially, you know, just obviously in light of of the current political situation, how how big a role he's playing uh, in American politics and global politics, uh, and that Oliver Stone just had this like seemingly unlimited access to him. Uh, and pro- I guess at Putin's uh, request, it seems like he was the one that kind of initiated all of this, um, maybe as kind of a sort of a uh, propagandist mission um, to win over hearts and minds in the U.S. But uh, all the same, it's really fascinating. It's on Showtime, which I took a month free trial uh, for in order to watch Sasha Baron Cohen's new show, which is a second uh, strong recommendation. I don't know. Have you seen that yet? I mean, I, I get all the like news reports of the outrageous stuff, but I haven't actually seen it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dude, you should just get get the free trial. Yeah. No, I can get it from my dad on my like computer. So, so yeah, I'll check it out. Oh my god! Oh my god! I don't think there's a more brilliant comedic mind at work right now. Yeah, and it really hasn't changed in twenty years. Is the hilarious thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's 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 hysterical. Um, mm-hmm. but anyways, it, uh, yeah, it led me to, to this Putin documentary, uh, or sorry, it's not a documentary. It's just, as I say, just a series of interviews. Uh, but I do feel like it's just, it's so, uh, enlightening, um, for an American who really just, as you, uh, um, so you listen to him and think about it. It's just like, we were force fed one caricature of Russia, uh, for like our parents' generation, um, and now our, now we are currently sort of being manipulated into seeing Russia in a, in a completely different light. And of course, Republicans, uh, have completely, uh, pulled 180s on, on their, uh, views of, of Russia and Putin, you don't uh, which is, say. Just, which is interesting. I mean, I, I mean, it's just, it's, yeah, I mean, it's interesting the forces at play that would allow for such a, <laughs> a quick swivel. Um, but all the while, Russia, is, you know, the reality of Russia is neither here nor there. It's, it's, it's somewhere else. And uh, so this gives a good glimpse into what it, what it really is, or at least as far as Putin is concerned. Word. All right, man. Well, thank you so much for being on. Look forward to having you back soon. Please send uh, my love to the family. Got to get up there and visit you guys soon once things settle down uh, on both ends here. And uh, yeah, dude, anything else you want to say to the Bizzlecast listeners? Uh, No, thanks for indulging us uh, through our mostly esoteric conversation. Hopefully uh, found some nuggets uh, interesting and and hopefully you check out some of the music and enjoy that as well but uh, it's been a pleasure thanks thanks for having me and uh, look forward to the next time absolutely man alright well thanks Eric thank you listeners coming back with more content soon but for now the Bizzlecast is out yum, yum. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, oh. Oh, oh.